You are listening to Win Win, a podcast brought to you by the global nonprofit Win Women in Innovation. Each episode features inspiring innovators from the startup world, innovation consultancies, and Fortune 500 companies who share their innovation secrets and career trajectories every Monday. As for me, I'm your host, Zoya Kozakov, global marketing lead at Win by Night and product manager and university level faculty by day. Yasmin Kathari is a product lead at Asana, a web and mobile application that simplifies team-based work management by helping teams organize, track, and manage their work. It is also a publicly traded company that is used by some of the most impressive companies and teams in the world. Prior to joining Asana, Yasmin was a VP of product at Domeo, a hospitality startup overseeing the product management, design, and engineering teams. She also spent four formative years in product at Airbnb and PayPal. Today's conversation makes me think a lot about value and how often we have to make the case for the business value of projects, but also the case for diversity. Yasmin provides a refreshing take on what it means to have value in your own career and how to create value when working on products that are ultimately meant to serve different kinds of consumers, from old to young, both men and women, and non-binary folks, as well as consideration of international markets. For those that are new listeners to our podcast, welcome, and I hope that you subscribe, but also, when Women in Innovation, the nonprofit behind this episode, is completely decentralized. We use a mix of tools to get us collaborating, so it is especially meaningful to be able to see how women within our own community, such as Yasmin, are defining these product visions that enable us to do our work in closing the gender gap. I encourage you to check out Yasmin's LinkedIn and Medium blog to hear more about her product tips and reflections on the last 10 years of her career in product and beyond. Hello, Yasmin, and welcome to the Win Win Podcast. We are so excited to have you here today. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. So Yasmin, your innovation trajectory spans far and wide in product and strategy roles. However, your start is both immensely impressive, but also very traditional. An economics degree from Dartmouth, a business analyst position at McKinsey, a portfolio consultant, and then an MBA from Harvard. So in simple terms, what did you want to be when you grew up? And what was that initial plan in the first few years of your career? So when I was growing up, I knew that I wanted to do something in business. And I always imagined like making deals and running a business unit and, you know, flying to high powered meetings when I was really young. That's kind of my vision that I had for my career. Um, And then when I was in college, I got a little bit more clarity and I realized that I was really interested in strategy, which is why I went to McKinsey to do consulting for a couple of years. And that was a very traditional role. A lot of people start their their careers in management consulting. And for me, it was a really, really great start. Um, I learned sort of how to think about strategy, how to present to really senior folks, how to really coordinate with a team and build out build out our recommendations for our clients. But the most important thing that I learned in consulting that I've really taken with me to every other job since is being able to take this very complex problem. Any problem that we were faced with was usually pretty complex, had lots of different parts, and was pretty unapproachable. And learning how to take that complexity and break it down into bite-sized approachable pieces. So that to me is really the building block of strategy. And that's what I've been able to take to all of my roles after. 
Today, product management is one of the most sought after career trajectories after, you know, especially after somebody gets an MBA, but everyone's route to get there is very different. So how did you get that first foot in the door? Great question. So when I was in business school, I really used that time to think about what I wanted to do next. I had this very generalist background from consulting, and I wanted to figure out what I actually wanted to do with the rest of my career. And I realized that something that's really important to me is I liked thinking about strategy, but I also really wanted to be more involved in the execution. I wanted to be able to think about what we were building, why we were building it, and seeing users actually interact with my business. So that led me very naturally to the idea of product management. And after business school, I joined PayPal in a product role, which was really my first step into the tech world. So I did a product job at PayPal, and that's where I learned how to work really cross-functionally, think about users, think about what products could really serve our users' needs, and then actually tactically think about how to execute, build, and ship those products to users. So that was my first foray into product. And did you have any technical experience at that point? I know that at Harvard, you focused on um, technology, strategy, and emerging markets. I did not have any technical background. In college, I took like computer science 101, and that was pretty much the extent of my technical background. But what I did have was more of a background in understanding users and understanding strategy, which I actually think can be more important than any technical background for a product role. So for example, after I left McKinsey and before I went to business school, I spent a year working in India and then in Africa with some nonprofit venture capital firms. And when I was there, I was actually doing a lot of user research. So for example, when I was in Rwanda, I hired a translator. I took that translator out with me into all of these like pretty distant villages where we interviewed these focus groups of farmers to understand what their farmers' needs were and how we could solve them with technology. So really thinking through like different types of users and how you could solve their needs, that was more of the background that led me into product rather than something technical. And then once you're in the industry, how do you go about navigating roles? So you, of course, switched a few times and which led you to Asana. But do you really consider the industry first or the product as you navigate roles? For me personally, I I consider the product more. Um, I have had a, a career that has spanned many industries. And so I have not really specialized into one industry as such. What really excites me is working on a product where I'm really, really pumped about the user problem that I'm solving. I'm really excited to get to know the users and I'm really excited to build those solutions. And I feel like those solutions are actually good for for our users and good for the world. So for example, at PayPal, I was very excited about working on payments. I'm, I'm in general very excited about the evolution of payments over the last couple of decades and how we've made financial access so much easier for folks. Um, At Airbnb, I was really excited about the mission of belonging anywhere and helping people travel in this new way and helping all of these hosts around the world build their businesses with an asset that they previously had not been able to make money off of. And so I was really, really pumped when I was at Airbnb working on product for hosts. Um, And now at Asana, I'm really, really excited about a product that makes people's work lives better. Like we spend half of our waking hours at work. And so it's very exciting to me to be able to make those 40 hours a week more enjoyable for people. So for me, I'm more driven by the user problem and the product. 
So during your four years at Airbnb, where you mentioned you you were, the company grew from about a thousand employees to over five thousand. When you started, you know, let's call a spade a spade. The company was an upscale-ish couch surfing app, and today the home rental company that has disrupted the hotel industry IPO'd at a hundred billion dollars. How did you approach innovation at every level of the company through your roles in both strategy and product when you were there? Yes, it was amazing to be at a company that grew so quickly. What I really learned at Airbnb about innovation is that when there's so much work to do and the company is growing so quickly, the best thing to do is empower smart people to just decide what problems they're going to attack and then give them the resources to do that. So at Airbnb, especially in in the first couple of years that I was there when we were still a little bit smaller and very fast, um, we had a lot of autonomy in different groups. And so different product teams, different organizations could really figure out their strategy, figure out what problem space they wanted to solve, champion for resources, and then go attack it. There wasn't as much hierarchy or bureaucracy. You didn't have to get approval at a million different levels to, to actually act. And I think that made us nimble and it made us have expertise at the local program team level, which was really useful for innovation. You mentioned the idea of financial resources as a part of dealing with innovation problems. What would you say to a company that is cash strapped and is figuring out how to really innovate and experiment while still having to be under a tight budget? Yeah, great question. So after Airbnb, I went to a startup. It was a Series B startup. Definitely, you know, we didn't have a lot of cash. I was leading a team of 30 engineers, product managers, and product designers. And I very much had to learn how to be scrappy um, because we didn't have the resources of a big company behind us. And so a couple of things that I learned in that role in terms of how to be scrappy and still drive innovation were, first of all, thinking about what, what we could get for free. So there are tons of resources out there for things that are free. Like we were thinking about, okay, how do we build career ladders for engineers? Tons of resources online. You don't need a whole extensive HR department to think about that. We were thinking about how can we um, how can we use technology to make our... It was a hotel and hospitality company. So we were thinking about how can we use technology in our rooms to make the guest experience better? And I didn't really have to hire a consultant. I just found some people at Marriott and at Hilton and at other places and just talked to them, reached out and got learnings from them. So the first thing that I realized is a lot of these things that at big companies, we think we need an HR department or we need to hire a consultant or we need a finance team. You can actually just learn on your own and get for free. So that was the first thing that we did to be scrappy. Um, The second thing that we did was we had to really figure out how to hire and motivate really amazing, incredible people And the way that we did that was, A, we had to figure out what our mission was, what our story was, how could we get people excited? Because obviously, we can't pay the same amount as Facebook, for example. So how do we get people hooked on the mission, hooked on the growth of the company? And then once they're in, again, I used that learning from Airbnb, which was I really tried to empower my team such that they could figure out what problems they wanted to solve and how they wanted to solve them. Because I feel like when you do things more at the local level, that's when you can be more innovative. And something that's really changed throughout your product role and the opportunities to innovate was obviously you started in a more junior capacity in PayPal, but you worked your way through not just being a product manager that is responsible for an individual work stream, but also a VP of product and then now a product lead at Asana. So what has fundamentally changed about your role and how has it allowed you to innovate in a different way? 
So at PayPal, I was an individual contributor PM and the same at Airbnb, which means that I was working with a team of engineers and designers and, and others and sort of leading that team. Now in my role, I manage a team of five product managers and they run their team. So it's sort of like a different level where I'm operating and different different questions that I'm thinking about. So before I used to think about, okay, here's my surface area. How do I get to know my users deeply? How do I look at the data and understand what's going on? And how do I think about the strategy for what my team should be building? Now I'm thinking about, okay, I have these five product teams in the context of a larger company. Where do I see cross-functional collaboration that should be happening? Where do I see a theme of, for example, maybe I see two different teams are working on data intelligence. How can I get those two teams to work together? How can we think about data intelligence as a company instead of as two separate programs? I also think a lot more now about people. And so how do I grow my people? How do I pair people effectively? What makes a really great team is when you have complementary skills. And so I spend a lot of my time thinking about, is this team operating effectively? Do they have the right people? Do they have the right pairing? If I switch you know, one person with another person, will, will we actually get a, an outsized impact because of those complementary skills? Um, so I spend a lot of time thinking about people development and about org design. And then third, I think about now the strategy of the company. So now instead of thinking about the strategy of my specific feature or product, I'm thinking about Asana in general. Where is Asana headed and how are our teams contributing to that? Prior to Asana, as we've discussed, you were really working on the, in the hospitality space. Uh, you helped fundraise and build out the vision and strategy for the startup that you mentioned, Domeo. But what are some things that you've applied from the hospitality industry to building project management software at Asana today? When I was working in the hospitality industry, a big part of it, especially at Airbnb, was thinking about virality. What does virality mean? It means that you build a product that your users love so much that they tell their friends about it. And that's true on both both the guest side and the host side. So our guests really loved Airbnb. They would tell their friends about it. They would have a referral code. And that's how we grew organically in a lot of markets. And then the same thing on the host side. Hosts loved hosting. They realized that they could build this whole business on their own. And they told other people about it. And that's how we built out our supply. And so what I've learned from that in SaaS, which is kind of like a new theme in SaaS, is that the same principle applies. You actually can build out your business and grow your business based on individuals loving your product. And so Asana, we have a freemium um, product where we have a free tier and then we have a series of paid tiers above that. And so even with our free tier, we can get people who really champion our product, who love our features on an individual basis. And those people can band together and then tell other folks and get more people at their company on it and then eventually channel up to the IT department, which is a new way that SaaS is thinking about sales. I think that's so accurate because I think every single person who knows me and is listening to this podcast is like, Zoya cannot stop talking about Asana. I run this podcast using Asana and think Asana enables you to work in such a good way that you then want to tell other people about how productive that you're being. Or maybe this is just me. So, you know, if anybody here listening has other thoughts, definitely reach out. <laughs> Asana's mission is to help humanity thrive by enabling all teams to work together effortlessly. This was especially meaningful as you joined the company midst pandemic. So talk to me about that transition and, and what that really means to you. Yes. So I joined Asana in April. 
which was when we were already working from home. And so I joined completely remotely, which was a really, really interesting experience. Um, first of all, it made me very reliant on our product, which I think is great. At Asana, we run our entire business within Asana. Everything that you need to do is within Asana. And so because I couldn't rely on you know, just tapping someone next to me on the shoulder and asking them a question, I really had to onboard onto our product very quickly and learn how to use our channels, our, our projects, our product really well so that I could find the information that I needed and onboard um, efficiently. So that was the first thing. Um, the second thing is I think being in, in this COVID-19 world made our mission even more important to me. But now that many people are working from home, there is something that's a little bit lost from not being in the office. There's a little bit of communication. There's a little bit of culture that's lost. And I feel like our product can actually make that communication more seamless. It can help teams really get on the same page, understand who's doing what, um, reduce any misunderstandings. And that's even more important when everyone's working remotely. And so for me, the mission of Asana has become even more critical in this new world of 2020. And then third um, was just the realities of, of me onboarding without ever having met my manager in person or anyone on my team in person. So I've spent a lot of time thinking about, okay, how do I just build relationships? When do I, what replaces like those 5 p.m. conversational chats where you're just joking around with your coworkers and becoming friends? And, and that's a tough problem. And so I've been doing a lot of, you know, happy hours or Airbnb experiences as a team or even just using Slack more conversationally to build those casual relationships. So those are some of the impacts that working remotely has had on me. And how do you believe a company like Asana that is really all about enabling teams to work together contributes to innovation? And how do you build a product to be innovative in itself? I think that Asana is contributing to innovation in a lot of ways, but I'll mention two specifically here. So the first I touched on a little bit earlier which is how do we actually think about product? How do we think about our users? Traditionally, in SaaS businesses, um, people thought about the IT department and they sold to the IT department and they didn't really necessarily think about their end user and think about whether their end user was really getting delight out of using our product. Now, the way that we work is we actually are constantly thinking about our end user. We think about IT departments as well. They're also an important user but we think about multiple user types and we think about how our product can, can really serve their needs. And we think about, you know, how can we delight and surprise these users? So that sort of using that consumer product mindset in a SaaS industry is the first way that I think we're very innovative. Um, and then the second thing that Asana is really doing that's innovative is thinking through the power of getting really connected data so at Asana, we have a data model where we have multiple object types. You could have an object type for a task, for a project, for a portfolio, for a team, for an organization. There are all these different data types and they're all interconnected. So if you've heard of you know, the social graph that Facebook used to have, we call this our work graph. So we have this work graph that has connections among all these different object types. And that means that we know a lot about the business or the organization that's using us. We have data on the things that our users care about. We have data on who's working together, who's collaborating together, which projects are falling behind, which projects are doing really well. Um, and so using that really powerful work graph of data, we are able to make better suggestions. We're able to deliver insights to our users. We're able to find connections to our users. 
And that is a really new, powerful frontier of SaaS that we're kind of at the forefront of. Incredible. When you think about the role of product, uh, a big part of being successful, a successful product manager is saying no. But a lot of women often struggle with clearly and confidently saying no. How have you maneuvered your own career and succeeded in overcoming some of those challenges that women often struggle with? That's a great question. Um, And you're right. Product managers have to say no all the time, sometimes to feature requests and sometimes to just requests of their team. One thing that I see all the time, especially in product management and especially with women, is that there is this feeling like I really should be doing it all. I often see people at work, usually women, who see these gaps on their teams. You know, they just don't have enough resourcing in one area or another. And these women end up filling those gaps by going above and beyond. So these women are are very reluctant to let anything slip. They don't want anything to go poorly. And they just fill in the gaps by working more and more and harder and harder. Now, that sounds really good on paper, but it's actually really harmful in the long run. Because to be an effective leader, she can't just spread herself thin and cover all the gaps, right? Like she needs to know where to focus her priorities, what actually can slip, and how to effectively champion for more resources. Because that's what's right for the business. And I see men do this much more often than women. I see men saying no. I see men... Um, letting things slip through the cracks, but they're not seen as letting things slip. Rather, they're seen as strategic leaders who are thinking long-term about the resource allocation of the company. And so I think something that I would really encourage all women to do and all women in product to do is to think about, okay, am I doing my job effectively and just working hard? Or am I actually filling in a lot of gaps because I'm not getting the right resourcing? And how can I be more strategic about thinking about the long-term health of this team as opposed to the short-term not letting anything slip. And something else that's interesting is that ultimately you're building the products that are impacting our futures, and you're bringing a different and diverse background and point of view to it, not just because you're a woman, but also because you're a person of color. How would you say that has been? Has there ever been situations where you've had to raise your hand and be that voice of reason that embraces inclusivity or considers the end user that the people who are ultimately building the product often do not represent? Yes, definitely. There are definitely examples all the time in product where it's so it's so useful to have diverse perspectives because our users are a diverse set of people. So for example, when I was at Airbnb, we were thinking about different products that help our hosts. How do how do we help our hosts track their businesses, understand how much they're making, understand the opportunity to grow their businesses. And as part of that, there were many times where I would see certain wording or the way that we were phrasing things or certain tools that we were providing to our hosts that might have really only solved for certain nationalities or potentially only for men. Um, And so thinking through, okay, is this this message going to resonate with a woman in India who's starting as a host for the first time? Is this message going to resonate with someone who's a little bit older and maybe isn't as used to using technology? And so having, you know, having me on the team and having the rest of the folks on my team who were also who also represented a diverse set of people, often working in tech, we have blind spots because we're so used to how we use technology. And it's really important, especially when working in product, that you 
are very aware of that blind spot. And you think about people who are not like you, people who are not used to using technology, maybe people who are a little bit older, maybe people who live in another country and have less access to technology. So it's really, really important to think through those different perspectives when you're building a product so that it can work for everyone. Looking back at your career as it stands today, is there something that you would have done differently or a word of wisdom that you would have given to yourself as you now look back? In general, I don't like to think about the concept of regret because I don't think it makes sense. If you didn't make the mistakes that you made, you wouldn't end up where you are now. But that said, um, a piece of advice that I generally give to anyone who is at any point in their career is that I think it is very important to make sure that you are running towards something and not running away from something. So what does that mean? That means that you have to be really intentional about why you choose a role. You have to make sure that you are uniquely positioned to bring value to that role based on something in your background. And maybe more importantly, you need to make sure that that role is uniquely positioned to bring value to you. So you need to think through what skill is it adding that you need in your toolkit or, or what is it really bringing you that you need at this point in time? The, the other really important thing about this piece of advice is that you need to make sure that you don't stay in a role so long that you hate it and then you just want to run away from it and run towards anything else. You need to make sure that you're constantly like evaluating, making an active choice to be in the role that you're in so that you're not running away from something, but you're always running towards something. And then looking at your almost one year at Asana, what value were you looking to bring to Asana and what value were you hoping to get out of it for you? Yeah, great question. Um, let me think because I want to be thoughtful about that question. Um, yeah. So for me at Asana, the value that Asana brings to me and the reason that I was so excited about this role is that I was really, really excited to think about a SaaS product. Um, I think that product in the SaaS world is so different than product in the consumer world, specifically because this is something that someone is using every day for work. But the person who's using it is not always the person who's paying for it. And so there's also these business model implications behind it. So I've always been fascinated by SaaS as a business and as a product area. And if somebody doesn't know, uh, could you just clarify what SaaS is? Yes, sorry. SaaS is software as a service. And so all of these companies that are selling software to other companies like Slack or Microsoft are in the SaaS business. Awesome. So then talking about the value that you are looking to bring to Asana. Yes. Um, and so then when I joined Asana, I was brought on to manage a group of product managers and to really be thinking about how we could take our business unit of Asana to the next level. So the thing that I was really looking to bring to the table was really my strategy background. Um, a lot of folks in product don't actually have a strategy background. And so they know how to think deeply about users, how to think deeply about execution. But I bring to the table how to think about the industry and how to think about all of the dynamics that are going on to build a really strong strategy. So as we wrap up, I would love to ask you one last question about innovation. And that is, Twofold, where do you see yourself and your industry one month from now, one year from now, and 10 years from now? I will start with myself. So for myself, in one month, I think I'm going to be extremely refreshed from the holiday break, and all of our teams are going to be back, and I'm going to be really excited because we'll be shipping some amazing features for Asana. So that's going to be very exciting in a month. 
And I guess in our industry in one month, I hope that everyone comes back from the holidays refreshed and ready to tackle a whole new year of work. Um, in one year, I see myself definitely still at Asana and really excited about this. This year, we're spending a lot of time building out some of our foundational building blocks in what I was talking about earlier in terms of like, how do we get all this powerful data? And then in a year from now, I'm excited to think about, okay, great. Now that we have all this powerful data, we have this work graph, what can we do with it? How can we be more intelligent and provide more value for our users? So that's what I'm excited about for myself in the industry in a year. I think that we can expect to see some more consolidation in this area. There are a lot of tools out there that kind of solve one single problem. Like for example, uh, Slack solving messaging or Calendly solving for your calendar. So just imagine the power of these tools coming together into one platform, which we're already starting to see. And I think we'll still see some more in a year. In 10 years for our industry, I think that SaaS will be able to put so much of our work on autopilot. Right now, workers spend more than half of their time on work about work, um, which is kind of like work that's mindless, endless meetings, not really skilled work. And we should really be able to reduce that. We should be able to build smart database tools that can intelligently help people reduce that back and forth and actually focus on the work that engages them and the work that requires their skills. So that's what I think is going to be there in 10 years in the industry. And then for myself in 10 years, um, you know, I never like to anchor on anything more than three to four years out, but I could see myself running a business unit of a tech company, perhaps running my own company. But that said, you never know, I could just as likely be in a completely different chapter of my life, like running a cafe or writing a book. So who knows? (laughs) Spoken like a true product manager. Thank you so, so much for joining us today for the podcast. Of course. Thank you so much. It was so great chatting. Thanks for listening to Win Win, brought to you by Win, Women in Innovation, and myself, Zoya Kozakov. If you enjoy this podcast, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit womenininnovation.co to learn more about our organization, programming, and other opportunities. And remember, when women innovate, we all win.